Welcome to episode 52 of They Think It's All Like... Guys, grow up. That's not funny anymore. Yes, it's episode 52 of They Think It's All Over, the Football Shirt Show. I'm Adrian Football Shirt Talia. Who's joining me on this football transfer week? It's Mike at Footy Shirts. Scott at Flying Scotty. And uh, Tom's done a bit of a Dan Juma, hasn't he? So who we managed to bring in today, boys? Yeah, so I've uh, I've decided to try and make our, our guest panellist welcome this week by donning an island shirt. And we've got Austin with us. All right, good to be back, lads. Good to see you back. Are we? What are, we, are you on loan? Are we done a loan with an option to buy? What's what's the what's the deal? Uh, emergency loan, I think. Yeah. Good old fashioned third goalkeeper emergency loan. We like those. Right. Coming up this week, we've got the usual kit news. We've got a kit history, which might promise us a feature on on Liverpool and uh, what happened with Everton and why they wear red. We've got a very exciting special this week as we hear the voice of Calcio at Syria's coverage with BT Sport. Adam Summerton, and to top that all up, we've got even more Scotty rants. Um, Scotty, lots of feedback from your rant last week. Yeah, there was quite um, quite a discussion about that, wasn't there? I think, I mean, a lot of these are going to be split opinions, but that's the beauty about it. These rants are only my opinion. It's it's not out there to make you agree with it. But yeah, I think after the controversial Jamaica start, I had easy 90, 95% of people agreed <laughs> with last week's rant. <laughs> And I was very passionate about it. We wouldn't have it any other way. Right, let's move on to this week's news. First up in the news this week, we've got got a new kit released in Germany, Mike. Yeah, we have. Not unusual for the club. So Colin have released uh, an anniversary shirt. We're used to seeing a lot of sort of like carnival kits and stuff from them. But I think this might be an extra one this year, obviously. So basically, it's a 75-year anniversary shirt. I think it's a really, really good looking kit made by Hummel. It's a little different in that they've kind of gone down a whiteout route, but not everything, if that makes sense. So what they've done is it's an all white kit with a red collar and red cuff. We've got a red outline sponsor only, which which actually pops really well, looks really good and the standard con badge. But the Hummel logo is actually being whited out. Not quite sure why that is, but I guess just for that that retro look. Uh, no, are they not protesting against the Bundesliga? I mean, that's a reason for whiting everything out of the World Cup. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that's what it is on this one. It seems that may have been a, a hollow reason for the World Cup. Anyway, we, we digress. Um, yeah, so basically, yeah, it's, it's essentially a, a, a retro-inspired kit. So they were founded in 1948. I tried to read up a little bit, but the, the translate doesn't really do very well. Um, but it seems like this is a kit that, like resembles their first ever kit in 48 and um, there's also a blackout goalkeeper kit that goes with it and both are available online uh, whopping 90 euros before delivery and before any badges patches and customization and then yeah the home shirt is is finished off with some red shorts and some really cool old school red and white hoop socks which look really really good oh and the one my favorite feature actually is kind of like a faux lace-up collar that we've seen on a couple of macron shirts and so on but i i am a big fan of that i think it looks good what do you guys think i was just about to say we've seen the collar before haven't we the the bolton fa cup special had one and didn't 
um, you can confirm this, Mike, but didn't the Charlie Mexico wrestling mashup have the same? It did. It was very similar. So obviously the, the Charlie one was supposed to look like the tie up on the back of a, a Lucha Libre wrestler's mask. Um, oh. But it is, it is the same effect. It is that kind of like fake lace up it, it looks like it's a little elasticated like the charlie one is and i think was it um sampdoria that had one from sampdoria from we've we seen yeah. it on wrexham and did we see it on slavia prague as well on their centenary shirt or 110 year shirt or something as well it, i think it looks really really good the the sort of like partial whiteout that they've gone with a little bit like the bayern anniversary the the, the 120 year that they did for me i would just like to have seen that badge maybe whited out as well but hey, it's it's a good looking kit. For a team that's not particularly great, they do have some really good shirts. I had the hundred and what no, what was that the seventy-fifth anniversary? I think I've got the potentially the seventieth anniversary shirt, if you remember, it was the reversible one. And fans submitted pictures and the uh, on the one of the reversible sides the sponsor had was filled with pictures of fans. So they actually do some pretty, you know different stuff and I think they, they pull it off quite well yeah it's, it's a nice kit it's like it's a nice uh, throwback kit with the white out like I'm not personally I'm not a fan of the kind of lacy collar type things but it is a kind of modernized version of it but when you kind of stand back and look at the kit as a whole like with the with the hoop socks it's a it's a it's a nice looking kit yeah and like like Scott said the Cologne have had some uh, really nice kits over the last 10 years especially I think they change up the designs a bit like this year they have like a, a Monaco style shirt then they do the the red and white stripe they do mix it up well i think so i think um i think the general consensus is with our lovely goat logo on the shirt that's um it's actually not bad oh god i thought we might get away with the the terrible jokes with yeah. tom missing this week but he sent me that one in i, I wanted him to feel included <laughs> austin what have you got for us is um finally a new fourth shirt for barcelona yeah, a bright new uh, Ford chart for Barcelona. So it's uh, another um, uh, Sassaniera kit, the, the Catalan colours with the red and the yellow um, Catalan colours. So again, it's similar to kind of the last four years with having a Ford kit with the, with the colours, and uh, except they've kind of changed it around a bit this time. So instead of like the last last few years, they've had like the yellow with the, the red claw going across it. They have a, what I think is a much tidier version Again, it's the same uh, like template as the home kit. So it's a, a yellow kit and it's the four stripes uh, horizontal chest, which I think looks really well on, on this kit, especially with the, the Nike template with the panel on, on the shoulders kind of cuts it off kind of nicely. But the, the, I think the most interesting thing about this kit is the, the centralized badge, which we haven't seen on this template, I think. And you have the, the Nike swoosh logo on the sleeve instead, which uh, is a nice change getting kind of mixed reviews it's, it's one of those kind of kits anyway like why would you need a Ford kit anyway to begin with especially when you're away kit is is gold like it's quite similar but they do seem to keep these four Catalan Ford kits for um for three or four seasons anyway so you do kind of get your value for money out of it I don't know what you guys think of it I'm, I'm a big fan of this one actually a bit like yours you said I saw that it got mixed reviews some of them really bad reviews and thoughts for some people, but personally, I really like it. I think it goes well with that new template. Like you say, I like the way the sleeves cut down and the stripes stay within it. The centralized badge looks good, and I'm really big fan of the swoosh on the sleeves. Good. Uh, I'm one of these people that doesn't like it. It's um, 
It looks like a Catalan version of the USA World Cup shirt because obviously same template, centralised badge, night ticks on the uh, on the sleeves. I, I don't like it. Scott, are you going to back me up or? Well, I was just going to say, does anybody know why it's a centralised badge and why they've done the pattern like it is? Kind of based on the captain's nickel stripes, but I don't know yeah. why they, they centralised the badge though. Yeah, so it's the captain's armband. You're right. They've said they've taken the captain's armband and put it on the middle of the shirt. Another good thing about it is they've they've also confirmed, I believe, that it'll be used till 2026. So it will be like the previous fourth. So it's okay. not release it every year. But yeah. I'm the say I'm with you a little bit, Ad. I'm not. I don't think it's terrible, but for me, it's a little bit blocky in the template. So there's there's no consideration. There's no fade away. It's just been stuck under the the, the chest panel that we're now used to seeing with that template. But then I wasn't a big fan of the, the previous fourth either. So, I, you know, it, it could be that I'm not a big Barca fan. So I, don't, I can kind of take or leave their shirts. But yeah, it didn't, it didn't blow me away. Because they've got that band as well across it. It does push that sponsor very low as well. It appears very low. Whether it's a trick of the eye and it's not actually any lower than usual. But it, do, it does look lower. And they'll have worn that against your owner at the weekend, won't they? Yes. That's right, Jim, in the Catalan yeah. Derby. What have you got for us this week, Scott? So this is, this is actually... Um, I think we were all quite excited by this news, but Reebok have returned to the football game. This week, they debuted the Panama home and away shirt for 23. Relatively safe designs. We're not seeing huge vectors that we all love from 1998, but the traditional red and white home and away. The thing I thought that was quite cool is that the design is a hexagonal pattern, which kind of reminds me of the old panels from a football you know the old adidas world cup footballs and the best bit about it that links into something later on today is that the home shirt has the hexagonal pattern on the torso on the front and the back whereas the away has a plain torso and then the hexagonal pattern on the sleeves so i think it's uh i think it's a really exciting news that they're coming back and uh for anybody else that's excited they should tune in next week because the ex-global director of Reebok, Glenn Joyce, will be joining us again to talk about some more Reebok. But what did you guys think of the shirts? Um, I, I like the shirts. Like you say, simple and safe, but they were good-looking shirts. But I think it's it's hard more to just not be excited by the fact that Reebok are back in in football kit making. And I, I just I just hope we see them more often because we've seen a few other brands come back, like Fila, uh, Mizuno, is starting to come in a little bit more now and stuff. But they've not really gone big like like you know like they used to be. So that's I think more than anything, I'm just excited to see them back in football shirts. To be honest. I know you'd, you'd be expecting someone when making a comeback to make a kind of bold design statement or whatever, but, you know, with regulations the way they are, especially international level, and then with the Panama FA probably say on the sign-off, so you're not necessarily going to get mad designs first time out, maybe. So, But it is, it's great to see them back, and uh, you're excited to see what else they can come up with. Scott, did you see the hats? No, I didn't, no. What, you'd, ne- you'd never seen a Panama hat? Oh dear! Is that Sorry. is that is that a missed opportunity by Reebok? Is it? Well, you know, yeah, the, 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 the Matt Brandon is all that. Does, has anybody seen? Uh, it's today we're recording this on a Friday. The um the rock the rock band inspired shirts that have been released by West Ham and Rangers. Does somebody want to sum those up and um, put them in a bin? 
Yeah, I, I saw both of these today. Just just to clarify, I, I don't know if the West Ham is a new one because I know they've done Iron Maiden shirts for a few years. So I don't know if that's necessarily new. But yeah, obviously this off the back of the fact that we've got an ACDC Rangers link up. Now, I'm not sure what the connection is there. Someone else may be able to say. But as for the shirts themselves, all I'm going to say I'm going to be a bit Scott here. They're fucking terrible. I don't like them at all. I'm a heavy metal music fan myself. I I don't like the mix. I I don't know why it's happening. Don't like it. Stop it. The tedious link is that ACDC's first ever concert in Scotland was in Glasgow. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) Well, it was good enough for Bohemians. Like Bob Marley's last ever concert was in in Dublin, so... So not a rave review. She's not going to leave any of us uh, thunderstruck. If you buy one, you're probably on the highway to hell. And hopefully we'll see Rangers back in black soon. Come on, Scott. She's fucking brutal. To be fair, even if you do buy one of the shirts, it'll probably fucking show up without the ACDC badge on it. Uh, yeah, we might need to be a bit more careful on our story. I've actually got a Twitter handle. We might have to uh, hold back on some of our brutality. I can't wait until that admin guy goes, what have we signed up for? Uh, so for anybody who doesn't know, Castori um, launched their Twitter account today. I, I don't know if a guy's going to last a week, whoever's, uh, whoever's running that. <laughs> I don't know if they prepared him. Anybody got anything else for us this week? I got pissed on holiday and woke up the next day with an email saying that I'd ordered the green out Denmark goalkeeper shirt. Couldn't tell you why, but apparently drunk Scott decided that he wanted one of them. So I'll be posting that shirt on Twitter next week. Any names that? No, either I didn't know how to work it or it, even as even drunk, I didn't choose it if it wasn't official. But... Oh, I'd love to see you try and spell Smike or drunk, but um, never mind. Well, I think that wraps up this week's news. Let's move on to Kit History. Kid history, kid history, we haven't made it up. Kid history, kid history, we read it on Wikipedia. So this week it's a little expanded because as promised and as requested, um, I've gone to Liverpool from Everton. So there's going to be a little bit more story to it as to the split and so on. But anyway... As we touched on the previous kit history, so Everton were the original tenants of Anfield. The owner of the ground was a brewer and conservative councillor by the name of John Holding. So basically, there were some arguments over land deals, rent and a few other smaller issues, such as the fact that Holding only wanted to serve beer from his own brewery at the stadium. And then adding to that, the fact that Holding was a Tory and the the, uh, Everton board were basically all liberals. It led to a little bit of mistrust and eventually Everton left and they went over to Goodison. So basically left with the prospect of an empty stadium and nobody obviously to play in it. Rob Holding decided to set up a team of his own, which is when Liverpool were born on June the 3rd, 1892. Uh, In a strange twist, Liverpool's first kit was a blue and white set that had been left behind by the Everton team. As we touched on, they wore that as their, their first ever kit. Liverpool wore this kit until Everton sw- and Everton switched to ruby red. And that was kind of like as a bit of a retaliation with Everton, with Liverpool wearing the blue and white. So 
if it weren't for a couple of things, we probably could have seen Merseyside derbies with the teams wearing reverse colours, which obviously would have been interesting. Liverpool actually switched to red in 1896, which was actually just before Everton switched to the Royal Blue. So it's all a bit confusing and the timelines were all a bit off. But basically they adopted red and white because they were the municipal colours of the city of Liverpool. They then played in red shirts and white shorts in 1964, which is when manager Bill Shankly decided he wanted to change to all red. So he basically switched the shorts up uh, because he believed that they would gain a psychological advantage. He believed that red was the colour of danger and the colour of power. And then just to finish it off, to put them all in red, it was actually Ian St. John, the Liverpool player, that suggested they switch the socks to red as well and just went whole hog. And they've obviously played like that until today. That that story has just confirmed that I still do not give a fuck about Liverpool. <laughs> I, do, you know, do you know what I would find probably the, the most interesting point out of all of that? And it must, like, obviously, Liverpool, we don't touch on politics on this podcast, but there is something ironic about Liverpool Football Club being founded by a Conservative councillor. Austin, do you believe this? Which bit? Well, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I think Mike just made the whole thing up as per usual, so we'll just go with it. Hey, look, I, the, as, as with all of them, if you don't believe it, we don't care. Don't write to us. Don't tell us. <laughs> and you know what? I looked. I looked in three or four different places for this. The timelines are all a bit shady as to when they switch to what colours and so on. But you get the gist of it. it. That that that's roughly what happened. I think it's a really good feature because I I think people listen every week in the hope that you will actually say factually this is why they wear this colour, not allegedly. They're waiting for that one week that you come with a fact of why they wear that colour. <laughs> I think the only week I've ever said that was uh, when, I, when I stated that it was a fact that West Ham just simply copied Aston Villa, the claret and blue. Which I think was the most controversial week we've <laughs> <laughs> yeah, But that is a fact. Following that, though, we have got a Liverpool special coming up on the horizon, haven't we, Mike? We have, yes. So we've got him booked in the diary. Um, so we're going to be speaking to Steve from Red Men TV, which is obviously the Liverpool fan base is sort of like primary online podcast media sort of channel where, they, you know, they get all, all of the fan chat goes through, really. They're pretty big guys in the, the Liverpool fan base. Massive. I look forward to Scotty speaking to him shortly. Right, that wraps up. Is it? So joining us this week, I am delighted we have, for me, the voice of Syria, but I'm sure a lot of you know Adam from various guises of football. Welcome to the pod. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, really good. Just doing some prep for the weekend. I'm, I'm uh, currently doing my research on Napoli against Roma, so that should be a, a good game for us to enjoy this Sunday night. I hope it was a good game. We're obviously recording this in advance of the match. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, yeah, hopefully there's still a title race come, come Monday when this comes out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been fantastic. It's Napoli have just been absolutely outstanding. To get on 50 points halfway through the season, as they have done, is uh, just a, an unbelievable achievement when you consider so many of their sort of established bigger names departed over the summer as well. Players with such a history with a club like Koulibaly and Insignia and Mertens, uh, even Fabian Ruiz, you know, for, so for them to recruit as well as they have and be in the position they are is, is quite something. It absolutely is. Let's put people out of their misery because there's probably quite a few people sat there listening, thinking, I recognise this voice. Where's he from? Where do I know him from? Let's, let's reel off 
all of the football that, that you cover. <laughs> Beer all day. Uh, yeah, I, I do all sorts, really. Um, I've always had a quite a varied selection of um, competitions that I commentate on. Um, I do quite a bit for BT Sport, but also work for other companies like DAZN, for example, do the Women's Champions League for them. Um, also did some FA Cup for ITV this season for BT. It's uh, the National League, Serie A, the Premier League, the Champions League, Europa League. What else have we done? Oh, there's, over the years, there's been many more than that, but that's probably, for this season, that's probably what we've done. So, yeah, really varied, um, which, which is nice. I really enjoy it. And, you know, you get to see a wide range of, of football at, at, at different levels, which is, I think, great. I don't often speak to people that I think watch more football than me. Um, but you definitely, you definitely check in that box today. <laughs> definitely check in that box. We will move on and, and look at Syria as a, as a focus. Um, that's what the special is about today. But why don't you take us through the journey of how you got into commentary and and tell us about maybe the first ever games that you remember doing and things like that? Well, I suppose to take you back to the beginning, really, I studied at university broadcast journalism. The intention was to work in news, which I did. Um, started off working on very tiny R at what they're called RSLs, where they test out an area for a radio license. I did that in uh, of a caravan in Torbay and one in uh, Barrow, um, and then got my first job in permanent job in radio, which was at um, a small local commercial radio station in Mansfield. Uh, I was there for three years and really did everything there: lots of different roles, news reading, presenting, OBs football reporting and it was there where the managing director who's still actually there even now he was a former commentator himself and he just said to me one day I think we should give you a try at commentary we'll just uh, chuck you in at the deep end and see what happens and I did it and it was a, an amazing game they had the rights to Mansfield Town and they were playing away at Cambridge United at the Abbey Stadium and Mansfield won 2-1 uh, they had two players sent off the police were on the pitch at the end um, it was just general chaos. And, and I was really bitten by the bug from that day on. I thought, this is what I want to do eventually full time. But it took me, I would say, probably about 10 years to get from the point where I, I was able to do football commentary just full time. I always had to do football commentary almost like, I wouldn't necessarily on the side, but my bread and butter was news work for a long time, really. Uh, news reading, news journalism, um, at radio stations all over the country, really. And then I, I took on more and more football work till I got to the point um, when I was able to do it full time, really, about I think probably about 2014, 2015, something like that. The, okay. the launch of BT Sport was was really important to me in that respect. That that was that was really um, a, a big difference maker in not just my career, but my life, really. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, look, I, I, make, I make assumptions, but maybe that news reading background gave you the skills to do the research because a lot of research goes into commentary, doesn't it? You have to do a yeah. lot of homework. Yeah, huge amount. I mean, I spend most of my days just sat on this kitchen table where I'm speaking to you from now researching about football. So if you told 15 year old me that that's what I would do with most of my days, then I think I'd have been pretty happy with that. So um, it is they are labels of love. They They can take a very long time. Sometimes I think people would think, oh, it's you, you read about football all day. Yeah, it, it is. It's great. I love it. I wouldn't want to do anything else. But there are times when, you know, say you've got three or four games in a week. And if you think I would say, you know, a day and a half, two days, you're looking, depending on the game, depending on the situation, how much previous prep you've done. It's, it, it is a lot of work. But yeah, I absolutely love it. And um, you're absolutely right as well in terms of the transferable skills. I would say that I would, I took a very long route to where I am now, very long in terms of 
particularly in terms of years that I spent climbing the ladder. But I don't really regret that. I, I wouldn't change it because I just think that's the that was the best thing for me. And it, it's um, football commentary is not really something that you can teach some, somebody. You have to almost learn how to do it on the job. And having those transferable skills that you've learned in other areas of broadcasting are very important to being a good all-round commentator. I think it'd be very, very difficult to just do purely commentary from the word go and and I think that journalistic skills certainly come into it in terms of you know commentators are very often asked to go and interview a manager for instance after a game it's a key part of commentary to be able to spot narratives as they're happening both you know in a season and in a game and and that partly comes from journalism as well there's you know you, you take things maybe from presenting skills as well it, it it really does all feed into it and I would always say to any aspiring commentator don't just do commentary try and be an all-round broadcaster it all it really helps yeah well um I've absolutely been loving your coverage so uh yeah whatever you've done definitely, thank you definitely has worked <laughs> listen you're sat in your kitchen and in the background I can see you've got a little pile of pile of shirts hanging there so obviously a little bit of a collector as well yeah, I've got. A, I'd say I've got a small sort of um, Serie A collection. There's there's one that I'm just looking at now as I'm turning around. It's the latest one I've got, which was people all know it. The, the Nintendo Fiorentina show. I think it was ninety eight, ninety nine. So I got that with Batistuta on the back. Um, there's also the. Do you remember the Milan uh, opal shirt that I think was famous? George Weyer was was playing. There's that one, and there's the Inter shirt that I think was from the sort of the Klinsman. Era yeah, that was the, early on, wasn't it? 90, yeah. the all-sport one, wasn't it? Yeah, around yeah. 1990, yeah. So the, the away one, the white one. Um, that's probably my favourite of all time, the Dutch 87, 88 one. The Ipswich template, yeah. that's. I think to many, that's obviously you know, the most famous shirt of all time. Mind you, following it up and just see the next shirt you're holding up, you're probably holding yeah. up one of people's uh, alternative the, to that, which is the Denmark. The, Den- the Denmark one, yeah. That, that would have to be up there was one of my favourites as well, but... Yeah, I've I've got quite a lot now with different clubs from Italy. I'd have to say that I think for me, in terms of football shirts, Italy has always led the way. Really, although having said that, I'm a little bit disappointed by this season's. I don't. I, for me, there's not really that many that I've looked at and thought, "Oh, that'll stand the test of time," or "I'll be wearing that in 15, 20 years." There was Venezia last season. Yeah, but this season not really so much. But I think if you look back over time and you look at iconic football shirts. Uh, Calcio has provided so many of them, hasn't it? One thing I've always loved about the Italian shirts that for the champions, they have the Scudetto shield in the middle. And if they've won the Coppa Italia, they have the little sort of circle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that as well. I just think those little added details just make such a difference. And that was in part, I suppose, one of the things that as a kid in the 90s drew me into Italian football really was... It was the elaborate crest, how different this you felt watching it on TV. The whole fan experience looked, the TFOs, the banners, the designs of the stadiums, and, and the kit certainly, the kit certainly fed into that. Absolutely, yeah. Come on, let's get straight into it then, because you mentioned this season, and yeah, you've, you've seen a lot over the last few years. What do you think the standout kits are this season? Are there any to you that are standout? Um, I, no, I wouldn't say there are, to be honest. I wouldn't say there is a standout, which I know is probably a bit of a disappointing answer in nature of the, of the podcast. But yeah, over time, absolutely. But not really this season. I'm sure there'll be people who disagree. I mean, I always look at, if I'm thinking what's going to be the best kit, two of the teams I always look to first are Samp and, and Fiorentina because they just always seem to get it nearly right, don't they? Yeah, and yeah. I'd say yeah. that they're two of my favourite kits this season, but I'm not a big fan of 
of Juve's or Inter's or, or Milan's. I mean, I was in the Milan club shop over the summer and I picked one up to think, you know, should I look at adding that to my collection? I just thought, nah, I don't really like, <laughs> I just don't really like the design. So you want to get ones that you think, oh, I want to wear that in 15, 20 years time. And it just wasn't hitting me like that. So maybe not so much this season, but certainly over, over the past. I mean, we've had some brilliant uh, Italian football, even the national team. In fact, I've got one. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you can see that Ooh. in the background. That's that's one of the the I couldn't I couldn't quite remember what year that's from. That's the Euro ninety six night. Yeah, the Euro ninety six night shirt, isn't it? I think is is that the one? Yeah. yeah, I couldn't remember what year it was from, but yeah, I've got that. Uh, yeah, they've, they've produced some fantastic kits over the years for the national team too. They really have. What's your view on the um, latest Adidas kits? Have you seen seen those come out last week? Yeah, I had a, I very quickly had a look the other day. Yeah, I quite like them actually. I, I'm not again. I'm not sure whether they'll go down as classics. Obviously, it's very hard to tell, isn't it? Because it's all about the test of time and how well they're received over a number of years. But I mean, it's funny, isn't it? I wonder when, for example, those Dutch and Denmark kits were released. I wonder whether at the time people looked at them and thought, oh, they're going to be looked at and revered decades later as they are now. It's hard to say, isn't it? But I like them. I thought they were nice kits. The current, the, the, the latest ones, change of kit supplier as well, isn't it? But um yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think they'll end up in the same category as some of the kits we've just mentioned. But yeah, nice enough shirts. Yeah, it'd be interesting. To see yeah, if if they retain the Euros or what have you in the kit, then instantly it probably yeah. does become a classic, doesn't it? But yeah. a safe safe entry for Adidas anyway, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd say it's a pretty solid start. Well, I'm going to call you up on a couple of the modern kits then, because we, so we held a, a poll at the beginning, well, back end of last year, to choose the shirt of the year for 2022. And there were a few of current Casio shirts in the list. So I'm going to reel them off. You tell me if you've seen them in action and you can kick them into the bin or you can say, actually, yeah, they're all right. All right. So I think I think the one that came out highest from testing my memory now in terms of the poll was the um, Specia third kit, the the yellow one with the like paintbrush. The keepers, the keeper wears it quite a lot. Oh no, no, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I could see why I might I could see my kids would probably go, Oh yeah, can we get that done? But I'm not maybe I'm a bit of a traditionalist, but no, it's not for me. Well, you did you started with Fiorentina and Sam, so I'm thinking I'm gonna put you in the tradi- traditionalist uh, column already in terms of where, where these goes. Uh, I think the other one that came um, came in the top ten was the Roma third ship. I think they've only worn that in Europe so far. That's the uh, the black one with the um it's got holographic crest on it and things like that but like i say i think that's only been been used in europe yeah i get i mean it's nicer than the last one but whether it's 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 not really I, it, it's really coming out of me here that i'm i'm definitely a kit traditionalist I yeah think yeah, 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 yeah i mean i think they're very current is probably the phrase we, we use for those it's funny isn't it because i noticed that i think it's liverpool's third kit right now which is a really strange design that's got I don't even know how to describe it, really. It's a little bit psychedelic. But my uh, my children walked past that in a shop and they were like, oh, look at that kit. That, that's brilliant, that kit. And I was like, really? <laughs> so, you know, maybe it's a, a different, it is g- genuinely a generational thing. It's also it's a bit like boots, you know. I w- if I were to buy a pair of boots even now, I would probably just buy black ones. Whereas kids nowadays, they're all the colours. I mean, we always laugh the dads on the sidelines at the kids' football because we're saying, look at look at their boots. They've when we were playing, you'd have to have been the best player on the pitch, or you'd have got kicked off it wearing boots like that. Whereas nowadays, it's just just normal, isn't it, to turn up in all the different colours? So I was going to say, I don't yeah. think you even see the referees in black boots anymore. No, no, and, no. Well, in Italy, they've even got their names on the backs now as well. So uh, mm. <laughs> you know, it's really changed. Yeah. Imagine that. Do you have, are you allowed to have an Italian team that you you got a soft spot for? 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of allowed to have, yeah, I don't think there'd be any problem with that. It's not something anyone has ever mentioned to me from work, but I actually don't. Um, it's a question I've been asked lots of times before. Um, and I, I'm quite glad about that because it's quite a unique experience, really, to be able to almost be a supporter of a league rather than of an individual team. I think if I look back in uh, to when I first got into Italian football, like so many people of my age in the uh, the 90s with the Football Italia, I think obviously, you know, teams like Inter and Milan were, were leading the way. And you think of them players like, um, I always remember someone like Baggio, for instance. And of course, Gianluca Vialli was was such a, you know, an iconic figure for so many at that time. I mean, we could, we could be here all day reeling off all the players that were in Serie A. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a great way to spend a day, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just absolutely iconic era. Um, the vast majority of the world's best talent was situated in one place. And isn't it funny that, Right now, at this moment, even just today, I've been reading people online uh, talking about how frustrating it is to see so much of the world's football talent concentrated in one league. And that league now is the Premier League. And it's funny how things change and how football, in terms of not just the success of individual clubs, but leads can be, uh, leagues can be quite cyclical, um, you know, the way things will change. So, um, but yeah, it was it was just a, an absolutely wonderful era that to, to really sort of fall in love with a league, I suppose. And you've got the opportunity now to see it you know, three, four times a week you know, and you're getting paid for it. Yeah. So, I mean, what and, better way yeah. to spend it? And, and, and it helps career. me in terms of my job because I, I do use social media and I do like interacting with fans in a, you know, a, it's not, I like to be, a, I'm not, not interested in getting involved with arguments with, with people on Twitter and, and things like that, but I do enjoy discussing football with people and, one of the things that I kind of, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship in terms of Italian football on this one particular issue, because with Italian football, what, one of the ways it differs to English football is the um, the constant suspicion. With Italian football, it's almost presumed that something is is dodgy, whereas here the presumption is that it's that it's straight, that it's that it's not been tampered with. Whereas in Italy, I've always found it's almost the other way. That it's, you know, I there's mean, a pres- there's a track record to look at there, isn't there? Well, there is. In <laughs> fairness, there is that. I, I I do get that, but I think in some ways as well that feeds into my type of role in that people will sometimes say, "Are oh, you you're biased? You, you don't like my team," which is. I mean, just ridiculous. I mean, I I honestly couldn't care less who wins any game I ever commentate on. I just love football. I love watching it and I love talking to people about it. Uh, and, and it does help me, I think, in that respect. Um, because I suppose with, with some broadcasters, you can almost um, overcompensate maybe if perhaps somebody's team is involved and, and maybe they overcompensate and are overly critical of their own team. And I just don't have that with Serie A. And I can talk about any team from Italy and the national side to anybody on any platform and and I can know that it's coming from a place of neutrality and I, and I quite like that really that's been really interesting especially over the last week or two with the Juventus um yeah the balance sheet um scandal because some of the Italian broadcasters have been really you know ostracized by the Juventus fan base I think is it, it DAZN yeah. um particularly have been uh, I think it's because they're the rights holders isn't it and I think they're looking mm-hmm. to you know, some of these protests that have, have been organised um, by some supporters is is basically to try and target, the, I suppose, to try and hurt the league by hurting the, the, the companies that provide the, the vast majority of the, the finance through TV revenue. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, that is a, a massive issue in itself right now in Italy with Juventus, clearly. Yeah, and it's got further to go. But it's interesting, like you say, you are a neutral. You've got that balance of reporting the facts. You want to give the narrative behind the game. So, you know, be, be remiss not to mention it. 
um, and explain it to viewers, but but it genuinely is coming from whatever the team, whatever the issue, it's coming from a position of impartiality, isn't it? Yeah, that's the thing. It's I, I just genuinely have a love for the league. So, I mean, I the other day I was talking about how difficult a time Milan are having right now, um, you know, and saying that I thought I didn't recognise them right now, particularly defensively, whereas, you know, in the past have been absolutely full of praise for, for Milan. I mean, last season, what they did was utterly remarkable, really, when you think their target was the top four last season. That was by no means guaranteed. People thought at the start of the season for them to go on and win the league. Uh, was just unbelievable. In fact, I, for, for me, as a memento of covering that league, I actually bought that shirt from last season. That's in the pile of shirts behind me now. So, yeah, I, I just, I, I love Italian football. I love promoting Italian football. Um, there's a lot of negativity being said about Italian football right now, in part because of what's going on with the situation with Juventus. And um, whilst I understand those debates have to be had, and I think Italian football can do a lot more to promote itself better. I think there are a lot of aspects of Italian football that, that needs reform and need to be improved. I mean, one example would be the stadiums. I think they've, they've remained miles behind, for example, the Premier League. And it's OK for people to sit there and say, look, we need to do something about the Premier League clubs being so far ahead. We need a Super League. Um, I think, you know, sometimes it's good to look inwardly. And there are, whilst, yes, I accept there's a big gulf in terms of finance now between leagues like Serie A and the Premier League, I think that more can and I think actually eventually will be done to help narrow that gap without something like a Super League. I, I'm I'm regularly disturbed by the still the amount of racism that racism incidents that there are in Italian football. That is another area clearly that that still needs a lot of attention. I mean, we see that in Spanish football. There was headlines only yesterday mm. about that too. So, look, there are, there are it's it's a great debate, and I'm willing to have that one with anybody about you know how do we. Uh, make sure that European football is competitive going forward. And, and I'm hugely positive about Serie A. I think it's just a fantastic league. It's so entertaining. I mean, the 3-3 draw I did the on Sunday, Juve and Atalanta was brilliant. We get so yeah, many games right. like that. Yeah. You know, there's so many goals in Serie A now. Uh, the Bianconeri could do with some inspiration here. 2-1 up at half time. Now trail by three goals to two. It's a nice distance out, and there's a fair few around this. Yeah, that wall's going to shuffle over as we look a little bit to the left-hand side. That'll be the message from Musso when he's lining the wall up. Well, Danilo is there. Di Maria looks the favourite. Left by Di Maria. Danilo! Go! All square! Thumped home by Danilo! The set-piece routine worked a treat. But it's amazing, isn't it? How many times I'll speak to somebody who's a casual observer of, say, European football, and even now they will say to me, say it's just someone that I've met in a in, in the pub who might be a mate of a mate, for example, and they'll say, oh, you cover Italian football, don't you? I mean, it's a bit defensive, though, isn't it? I'm like, it really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> the stereotypes going right yeah, back to the... Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that for me is something that, you know, why is that still so ingrained even now? I mean, is the league and it, and and, our, and as me perhaps even as as an advocate of the league as a supporter of the league, I sometimes question myself and say, "Am I doing enough to dispel these type of myths? If they're still so commonly held, sort of myths by people out there who are casual observers of European football, 
you know, that for me harms the league perhaps as well, because if people thought, oh, I'll tune into a Serie A game, I might get a two-all draw or a three-all draw or end-to-end football, a bit like the Premier League, then they might be more likely to tune in. So really interesting debate, I think, around all of that. Well, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll both keep promoting it. I know on the socials, I push uh, Italian football as much as I can because I'm a massive fan of it myself. But in terms of players that you're watching at the moment then, who who stands out? Who gets you out of your seat when you're commentating and you think, yeah, wow. Yeah, this. I mean, you've just hit on something again there. And I think this is another thing that we need to maybe shout about more in terms of saying how good the league is, because you know, there was a lot of talk over the summer about a bit of a talent drain in Serie A players moving on to other leagues. Um, but when you look at you know some of the stars that, that the league is making right now, I mean, just, just take Napoli, for instance. You know, someone like Kim has come in. For me, he's been the signing of the season. Kvaratskelia uh, is his teammate. Is another one who has done remarkably many, well. Many people signing into the season, I think. So yeah, yeah they, they got two I, just in their team. I mean, yeah, I think that's a good, again a good debate as to which one of them has been the best signing. And you know, Lobotka for me in terms of the position that he plays has got to be one of the best in Europe right now. Uh, quite rightly getting rave reviews. Um, Rafael Liao had a poor game the other night, and he can chuck one of them in occasionally where he's largely anonymous, but. You know, by and large, over the last year or so, he's been sensational for for Milan. Um, again, if you look through their team, you know somebody like Benacer, I think, to um, to Mori, to Nali, and and these are players with a good age profile as well who can still get even better. And we could go through the whole league. There are a lot of really good players. I think on if I had to look at a squad on paper. I'd still say that I'd say probably Napoli has the best starting 11, but I still think Inter has the best squad in terms of, of, of depth and maybe aren't quite punching to the level that maybe they they should be in terms yeah, of the race for the Scudetto. But there's, I mean, there's, there really is a, a lot of talent. And I think that another aspect of where Italian football, by its own admission, particularly after missing out on two major tournaments in so quickly was that they need to start producing more of their own or be, get better again at producing more of their own and and perhaps most pertinently blooding it in Serie A being less reluctant yeah. to blood their talent and I think that is is another way that Italian football can start to maybe to build the the sorry bridge that gap a little bit more between a league like Serie A and, and, and the Premier League by developing their own. And blooding those youngsters a bit younger, which I think we're starting to see as well, you know, and it, it does make for more exciting football and, and seeing those players come through at a younger age. I think it definitely, yeah. definitely happened in the profile. You look at, I did Atalanta on Sunday and you look at, I think they had two 19-year-olds in the starting lineup. Um, one of them being an Italian in Scalvini, who is an excellent player. So, you know, Atalanta have always had a reputation as producing young players. They're a great breeding ground for them. And in, in somebody like Gasparini as well, there's a coach that is... Um, I think it gives players great confidence in terms of his systems. They get surety from the way that he plays. And yeah. you know, look at someone like Adam Ola Luckman, for instance, as well, who's gone into his system and really thrives. So um, Milan, I don't think, get enough credit for the amount of young players they've produced over the years. And it's always been a criticism that of Juventus. But you look this season with players like Miretti and Fagioli, they're starting to do it now as yeah. well. But it's, you know, that maybe feeds it partly into the what I was just saying there about. Italian clubs bridging the gap, they've been in a way, I suppose, slightly forced into that, you know, because of injury problems they've had, financial problems they've had. I wonder whether as many of those young players would have got chances this season had had they been able to go out and, and spend a lot more money. But Fagioli was excellent, I thought, in that draw with Atalanta, particularly the first half. He, he looks a real talent. 
So far, I think we've put a bit too much um, light for my liking on Napoli. I do have allegiances and uh, I, I, will, oh, right. I, I will commend how well they're doing on the pitch. I'm conscious of the fact how the weekend's game would have gone. So let's, let's just bring them down a notch or two. <laughs> I'm hoping you'll back me up on this. Can I get your thoughts on the amount of Napoli kits we've seen in the last couple of years? And I think we're up to <laughs> nine, nine already this season. Yeah. Um, you know, I had this thought the other day, I was sat there and I was thinking, if Napoli do go on and win this Scudetto, is, is looks extremely likely. Can you imagine be you know, 10, 15 years time as kit collectors like you and I are, you'd be, be thinking, oh, I'd love to get the, the, the Napoli kit from that year that they won the league, just like you might do now about 89, 90. You'd have to buy about 10 of them, wouldn't you? So in that respect, really I think, would, for, yeah. yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure how I feel about that, really. Um, I know that there are some guys at work who absolutely love it. Every time one of these kits comes out, I get a text off somebody saying, have you seen the latest one? And yeah, I don't know. Again, I think I'm just going to come down on the side of being a traditionalist. It's just, you know, seeing Rudolph on the front of a, of a football oh. shirt is, I'm just not sure that's for me. Um, the Valentine's Day one the other day as well. I get a in the cup. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what was that all about? Yeah. Um, it's a bit niche, but the, I don't know if anybody else ha- else had this thought, but the first thing that I thought of when I saw that was that who was the French lad? Who was I think he was at Udinese. You had that that tattoo, that tattoo on his on neck. neck. Yeah, <laughs> that was the the French. I can't. His name's gone out, out of my head for the moment. But the, he was the, when I saw that shirt. I'll genuinely that was the first thing I thought about his neck tattoo. So uh, yeah, it was. Now I'm not sure about that. No, I, and I don't think in terms of remembering what is going to be potentially very likely an extremely historic season. Not sure that it really works. Really. I think I think if we have to commit to you know putting a shirt in the collection to commemorate it, we're probably going to have to go the home shirt anyway, aren't we? And the rest, yeah. can, the rest can yeah. sort of go to go to one side. They're not the, the yeah. I was going to say I'm trying I'm trying to think off the top of my head was the one that I really liked, and I'm I'm struggling to think of the Halloween one was okay. Was I okay. Quite, yeah. So I have got last season's the black with spider web one. Oh, have you? I think, they wore that, I think they wore that one a couple of times in the end. And and yeah, yeah. That, that was before I knew the madness that was going to follow. I was, I was committed at that point and then I tapped out fairly shortly after. I'll tell you what, 13. talking about, you know, in, in years' time, I bet you they'll be worth a fair bit of money, those novelty, because they've only made, they've not made many of them, have they? So No, I think they've limited them all to, oh, God, you have to remind me when Napoli were founded uh i want to say like 1906 or something like that but yeah, yeah whatever year they were founded they, right okay yeah they released yeah. that many shirts so um right. yeah there's not many of them out there so yeah strange one strange one i guess you're gonna give 90s answers here but i'm gonna ask you for your top three shirts of all time Oof. oh that's tough uh what italian or anything um Let's let's stick Italian for now. Yeah, yeah. Let's, Italian. Let's... I, yeah, I think the one that I showed you a minute or so ago, the Battistuta, the, the that ninety. I think it was ninety eight, ninety nine. That one. And and the two, the the two Milan clubs, the shirts I just showed you a moment or so ago, as well. I think they'd have to be right up there. But then there's this bit of me that says, no, you have to have uh, the Samp shirt from when they won their yeah. own Scudetto. That's got to be in there. And then. I was only looking at the other day at the sort of Napoli shirts of the late mid to late eighties around there with Mars on those. Yeah, yeah, the Inero ones. Yeah. Oh, that's a really tough one for the for the top three. Um, I think I'd have to include a Samp shirt. 
And then, and I'm not thinking Fiorentina as well. So just so everyone knows, I've had no prior warning. This. I'm, not, I'm not deliberately <laughs> you haven't, you haven't. this. I'm, I'm literally just thinking about it on the spot. So I think that this, the Sampdoria kit has got to go in there, really, because that their their designs have been among the most iconic over the years. The Fiorentina one has got to go in, I guess. Ooh. And then I suppose I'm picking from one of those. I'd, I'd say probably the George Weyer Milan shirt has, has got yeah. to be in there. But to be honest, I could change my mind. I, I could change my mind so many times with that. Yeah, yeah. do you know what? And that's uh, that's probably the most common answer. Ask me tomorrow. I'll give you a different set. Yeah, of, uh, I have to say, yeah, 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 De- definitely. Because there's just so many. And as I said earlier, I, I love that uniqueness about Italian football with the champions have the Scudetto shield on. I, I don't really know if there would ever. I don't think there's ever been an English equivalent of that, has there? I'm trying to think. No, other than they get a gold patch, don't they? I think. Yeah, uh, you know that's it, really, isn't it? It's not. A, not really. But I love that as well. If if I was ever buying a shirt, I'm trying to think if I had one with the Scudetto shirt. I think I have got. Do you remember? Oh, I have. I'm just looking at it now. Actually, as a turn around, do you remember the the Juve? I think it was a third kit. It was yellow with like blue blue trim on it a few years ago. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Bit of extra added detail where it's got gold around the shield as well. I just, I just love stuff like that, and uh, I actually really, really like that as a modern kit. Actually, quite fairly simple. I know it's not a, a sort of the colour you'd naturally expect, really, but fairly simple. But um, potential to, I thought at the time to maybe be a classic. But then, has there ever been a? So, the only real third kit I can think of off the top of my head that's been a classic is England's from, was it 1990? I've got that here as well, the blue one. Is that the blue one with the yeah. three lines, three lines on, into yeah, the pattern? Yeah, yeah. That, was that a third kit or was it a second kit? I think it was. I think it was red, red really away and that was yeah. the third, wasn't it? Yeah, so, so yeah. that's an icon. I'll, I'll class that as an iconic third kit, but there's not too many examples of that, is there? It's not a lot, especially in the nineties. It was uh, it was pretty safe to be just a home and away. And I think, well, these clubs used to get caught out with just a home and away, didn't they? And had to quickly produce third kits. I think it would be remiss of us not to talk a little bit about the National League coverage you do as well, just because we do have a lot of listeners that follow National League clubs. Yeah, yeah. And it's a hell of a title race going on at the moment at the fantastic. top of that league, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's the National League's just fantastic. It really is. Um, we we really enjoy covering it on BT Sport. We've been doing it for a decade now. Because, uh, that long, is it? Yeah, it's a decade. Uh, I've been doing it personally for... Seven or eight years. I think my first game on the National League was 2015. Um, Lincoln against Eastley was my first game. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, Eastley is still at that level. I think Lincoln are League One now. Yeah. Um, got promoted with the Cowley Brothers um, back in 2017, I think it was. But yeah, I mean, right now, it's getting in a lot of headlines, partly because of Wrexham and the whole Hollywood factor there and their documentary. So that's understandable. But I would say, and again, it's a debate that you could have in the pub, but I would say right now that the National League, in terms of the quality of player within it, is arguably the best it's ever been. Um, And that is in part because owners, there is a bottleneck because there's only one automatic promotion spot. So you've got a lot of big clubs that are basically trapped in there and are looking to spend big money to get out of it. Wrexham, Notts County, Chesterfield are examples of that. And there is a slight concern that the further you go down the league because of that, how competitive is is it going to remain? But then I say that, and then you've got Scunthorpe and Oldham, who were relegated from League Two last season, are both fighting relegation to the sixth tier now. So, uh, but it but it is a, an absolutely brilliant tight race. I tweeted the other day that 
you've got three teams who are all on course for to reach 100 points or more. That's incredible, is isn't it? Astonishing. And only one is guaranteed to be promoted. And then you've got, just behind them, you've got Woking, who I think are on course. Woking have come out of nowhere this season, haven't they? Yeah, they've got of... a good manager. Yeah, Sal's a good manager. Uh, they got him in partway through last season. And he's assembled a really good squad. Someone like Amond, uh, Amond, I should say, they got who's played a lot of football in the football league has done really well. I wouldn't say there's net, but they're they're more of a. You look at them as a unit. They've been really successful because of the unit that they've yeah. got. It's funny enough, myself and um, Scott, who does the pod, uh, we we got to work in game middle of last season uh, at home to Weymouth I think it was 2-0 a couple of sending offs but they're, they're a physical team as well they've got some yeah. real athletic players in, in that team yeah yeah. he's just he's a good coach and he's put together a really effective team unit and I don't think they'll win the league I think I think they'll probably finish fourth and they'll be in the playoffs which I mean the playoffs as well I mean last season was just I mean I, as I say I cover every level of football from the Champions League and the Premier League to the National League I do women's football I just, anything really. I just, I just love football. But those playoffs last season were, I'd say that Wrexham four, Grims get it the right way around. Grimsby five game, in terms of pure entertainment, is the best game I've ever seen. It was absolutely incredible football. I, mean, I always say it was Hollywood without using the obvious pun, <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it genuinely was, wasn't it? Oh, it was just fantastic entertainment. I enjoyed it so much that, I thought I've got to get a souvenir of this game. So I went on, I think it was somewhere like Etsy and, and somebody had produced like a, a frame where they'd got like, um, you know, where you see almost like a Sabutio pitch and they've, they've put all the names of the players on the date of the game. And I got it for, it's framed yeah. and it's in my office. So, um, apps, and, and we've just, the thing with the National League is you get such great stories, but mm. you, you will get occasionally not great a game. And, and naturally, look, these players are playing at that level because they're not good enough on a consistent basis to be in the Premier League. So you're not going to say that, see the same skill level that you would in the Champions League or the Premier League. But but what you do get is incredible support and you get great stories at this level, whether that be individual stories. Look at Scunthorpe, who we did only last night. You know, they hadn't won an away game since 2021. I think it was something like 396 days off the top mm. of my head. They thought they were going out of business and the same day they got taken over and then two hours later, they won their first away match since 2021. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just crazy, isn't yeah. it? But yeah. you get such great stories, you really do. So uh, you had the easy question earlier or you answered it before I asked it in that you said Napoli, your tip, Syria. This isn't going to be such an easy question. Who's going to win the National League? I think... I think there's a long way to go and there are some people who are calling it already. Um, and I do think Wrexham will just about get it done, but I, I don't. I do think that that Notts County and potentially Chesterfield and a push even Woking will keep them honest right until the end. And there is a slight doubt in my mind with Wrexham because as well as they're going right now and they're they've improved their away form as well. Because if you looked at it, they've got a hundred percent record at home, but they've thrown in some strange performances away, and you thought maybe that that could do for them if, you know, Notts County keep very close that the away form could do for them. But right now their away form really has improved and they're, they're just grinding win after win after win. So, you know, I think they will eventually go on and do, and, and, and win the league. Um, but I never subscribe to the view that um, was put out over the summer, particularly from the bookmakers, that the, the title will be done by Christmas. Um, I never 
subscribe to that view and not County of, and Chesterfield and Woking and, and he, I'd even say clubs like Barnet as well that they're, they're just doing they're just doing so well to to, mm. to keep to keep it going and Notts County have got a really good side I'd say that they and Chesterfield are the for me personally they're my two favorite teams to watch entertainment wise in the they league score goals for fun don't they I think yeah they so, score yeah. a lot of goals they've got a good balance about them attractive passing football they've got some really good technically gifted players which you know people who don't watch that level of football will be like technically gifted players in the fifth tier believe me they're there you know they really are um, you know, nearly all the clubs are professional now, which people, some people who maybe don't watch it, don't know that either. Um, it's, it's not non-league football in how maybe the it maybe used to be perceived in like the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. It's it's so professional now. It, it is effectively that you know the fifth division of, of of the league. There are some who say it should be what you know brought in as part of the mm. football league now. But yeah, to answer your question, I think Wrexham, um, but I still think it'll it'll go relatively close. To the wire, I think. Well, we're going to enjoy watching that unfold over the coming months. Absolutely, yeah. I'm sure it's going to be just as exciting as it was last year. Adam, it's been terrific speaking to you. Really, really enjoyed it. Great insight there into a couple of leagues and and you know how lucky you are to you know, do the work you do and get an insight into that. No, thank you for having me on. I've enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking about the kits particularly. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Next time I need something special picking up from a club shop uh, over in Italy, I'll, uh, I'll drop you a message. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll see what we can do. <laughs> I think my biggest, most shocking take from that is the dislike of the Spezia third shirt. I mean, that, that shirt scored highly on our shirt of the year Paul, it, we we all on this podcast, we all have, I believe, three out of the four on this podcast own, podcast own that shirt. Uh, yeah, mind blown. Never mind everything else you spoke about. That is what stuck with me. I can't can't shake that. No, I, I agree. I mean, he's dead right on that one. I, I wasn't a fan of that shirt, but look, none of my I think only one of my shirts made the top twenty. But what what do I know? I'm glad that you walked into this podcast with that chip still firmly on your shoulder, Austin. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, come, that's come across. But I mean, what a nice guy. And you know, for a living, he gets to watch pretty much every football game that, that we watch and talk about it. I mean, lucky guy. It was interesting him speaking about the National League as well. I mean, everybody, you know, we've had Salford previously, so everybody kind of, you know, got a bit more attention. And then we've got the the Hollywood owners of Wrexham and thanks to Disney Plus, I think a lot more people are paying attention. But on a personal note, for me and you, AD, you know, I've made my regular work trips down to Woking and me and you have been to a Woking game. So it's great to see them flying. They're fourth and, uh, you know, they, they really have a chance to, to get involved in this, uh, in, in the title race for that too. So it's going to be really interesting. I you, what, what it will do is obviously... It's, it's one automatic promotion, isn't it? From that, it really is. Yeah, that's yeah, going to be an incredible playoff. That if if all them teams can keep up the momentum to the end of the season, that that playoff is going to be insane. Yeah, we've only got a few months to go, and it's uh, shaping up to be very exciting. So yeah, mate, well, we got we got non-league special coming up soon, so maybe we'll uh, we'll touch on some of those kits as well in a few few future weeks. It's that time of the week again. The reason I think everybody's tuning in now already. It's time for Scotty Rants. Usual parental warning. This is an 18. Please cover any children's ears that happen to be around you.
everybody knows that I dislike this, so I'm just going to get it out of the way. But it's fucking playing backs on shirts. There's been a few that have been released lately, and and I know that some people don't have a big problem with them, but I don't understand why, because they look fucking terrible, especially striped shirts. You've got two things it can be: either they take all the stripes off, which isn't great, or you have the the fucking ridiculous. They just cut a box, so you've got stripes at the bottom of the shirt and just this box at the top. And the reason I can't get behind it is that the reason for it is it's for visibility. Fucking visibility for who? The referees. Them cunts are blind anyway. They don't get any fucking decisions right. So what the fuck are we blanking out shirts so they can read a fucking number? And who are they worried about being identified? When when we're watching the TV, we can't see the numbers on the back of the shirts, but every cunt knows it's messy. So what does he need a fucking black box on the back of his new Jordan 4 shirt so the referee can see it's fucking messy? They're fucking shit. They're fucking lazy. Stop putting fucking plain backs on shirts. That, that, that's my favourite one so far. Wow. Uh, what a week. What a rant. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> Austin, did you enjoy that? Would you will you come back and face the wrath of uh, Scott again? I mean, can you just vouch for everybody how how visual, how worked up he gets when he delivers these? Oh, yeah. Like, not 100% passion. That's what we want. That's why we love Scotty's rants, because he means every bit of it from the bottom of his heart, and that's why we love it. <laughs> he doesn't hold back. We get both barrels of it, and that's what we want. Mike, what have we got coming up over the coming weeks? God, you throw me now. I wasn't expecting that. What have we got? Um, so we've got, in no particular order, we are going to have the Liverpool feature with, with Redmen TV. We are going to have the non-league feature. We have got the interview that me and Scott did with Scolzi, but not that one, the PSG guy. Uh, I think we've got a couple of other things lined up as well that we want to keep in the can for now. All sounds exciting stuff, exciting stuff. Anybody got anything exciting on between now and next week? Yeah, non-football related, but the up in the Shetland Islands, um, we will have tomorrow, because we record on Monday, uh, the biggest fire festival in Europe is taking part, uh, which I'm heavily involved in. And it's a great laugh. And if you if you don't know anything about it, if you Google up hell yeah, which is U-P-H-E-L-L-Y-A-A, then you'll see some spectacular images on Google of the biggest fire festival in Europe. It's Yeah, it's a it's going to be really good fun, but I'll be worse for wear come Wednesday. Wednesday? It goes on for a whole week, does it? Well, I, I told Mike I, I'm going out tonight. Um, <laughs> I've got tonight, Saturday, Sunday off, then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> but the big fire nice. the big fire event is Tuesday evening, and then you go out for 12 hours after and dance and whatnot. Is this the Wicked Man? No, it's actually... <laughs> It's to do with the Viking heritage because Shetland used to belong to the Scandies. So yeah. it's a big celebration of the Viking history. So, yeah, we all dress up as Vikings and march a galley boat around the town and then burn it. So you're not trying to just invite a load of English people up to, to burn them inside a massive wicker man at the end of the four days on the piss? <laughs> is, no, is the, don't give away the Tom ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom's locked in the garage. He's going to be inside the galley. <laughs> right. Uh, who wants to do the honours this week? Who wants to wrap up the show? Should I let the guest do it? Yeah, so test, test if he's ever listened. 
the tin kit's all over? It, it is, is now. now. <laughs> <laughs>